The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It sure is. It is uh, 12.05. Welcome to uh, to Sunday, the Sunday edition of the Disability Law Show. You'll want to go to uh, disabilityrights.ca. Uh, there you will find past radio shows and links to our television show as well on Global and CTV. It's a, it's a good thing, so you want to check that out uh, weekly as well. Reaching out uh, right now to the radio station, 416-870-6400. And uh, you have a call about uh, possibly something you're dealing with, your insurance company, you've been cut off disability, you're not sure if you qualify, you've been sent an appeal, all that business, all that stuff that's uh, mired in confusion. You want to uh, give us a call here over the next hour. Savannah's here to answer your calls and do all those good things. Email, send them along. We'll read those as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. And for the next little while, it looks like covidrights.ca, a very very popular website uh, the firm put together a short time ago there's information uh, of course on your covid rights has it has to do with disability and some stuff on employment law as well so the disability law show is once again set to go and uh, and here we are phone lines are open what uh, what say you brother hey johnny great to be here on the sunday afternoon and uh, yeah we're we're here to talk about long term disability and uh, injury claims and you know i want to make sure people know that you know your rights do not expire they are not suspended during this covid crisis i think people are adjusting uh it's obviously a very difficult time for many people not just social isolation but people losing their jobs people dealing with insurance companies insurance companies cutting people off disability uh, which is essentially catastrophic now is you know especially given this pandemic nobody needs extra stress uh, to be placed on them so, so you know l- let's start off with with an interesting back and forth that I had John this week I mean I have these back and forths literally every day and, and this is a gentleman that I have been speaking with and communicating with via email he's on long-term disability and my last exchange w- with him actually was this morning the Sunday morning and uh, he, he needs some help some he has some questions about his long-term disability claims which I, I often uh, answer uh, very very quickly uh, via email and uh, you know then he had mentioned and this is his email from earlier uh, today he's saying look I, you know I may need your guys help with my long-term disability claim uh, I already have a lawyer that's helping me with my employment situation with my employer and you know I emailed them back saying we'd be more than happy to help you with your long-term disability situation you know to deal with your insurance company but that said I don't know who you have helping you with your employment uh, case but be very careful of having a separate firm and a separate lawyer dealing with your employment matter and another firm another lawyer dealing with your long-term disability claim and and, I wasn't telling him he should be you know porting over his employment case to us I mean I'm just as happy just giving him the information he needs John but my concern in having different lawyers at different firms dealing with your employment and disability cases is that there is an overlap between those two areas of law Mm -hmm. and you know the simplest example that I've given him is that if you have an employment lawyer and that employment lawyer is not aware of the impact of whatever that lawyer is doing on the employment side on your disability case I said to him you could be getting severance from your employer in other words the employer let this person go you could be getting severance and could be a good severance that the lawyer negotiates for you except that what that lawyer may not be aware of what you may not be aware of is that there is a provision most likely in your LTD policy that states that your LTD insurer 
is entitled to a credit for that severance. Right. You know, the vast majority of disability policies I have seen that I have come across and reviewed contain provisions that say that if you get severance from your employer, if you've been let go, the insurance company gets a credit for that. That means that the insurance company will not pay you the equivalent of that severance. So, you know, think about that, John. What's going to happen here? He's going to get the severance that's owed to him, and it's going to get eaten up by the insurance company. So the insurance company yeah. gets a benefit, the employment lawyer gets a benefit, and this person that I'm dealing with here is stuck in the middle getting nothing. So you have to be very careful, and there's many other issues. I mean, I, we host seminars at our firm internally for our lawyers, for our employment lawyers and disability lawyers, to make sure that the disability lawyers and employment lawyers are all on the same page when it comes to dealing with individuals who are dealing both with employment issues, uh, potentially terminations, things like that, and at the same time with disability issues. I I'll give you another example, again, for people out there, just so you understand. Let's say you have uh, uh, an employment case. Let's say that y y you are on the verge of claiming for disability. In other words, you're just dealing with your employer right now, but you haven't even applied for disability. In some situations, when you negotiate a severance with your employer, you know, at the end, when the employer gives you that money or gives your lawyer that money, they're going to require you to sign a full and final release, a document that basically bars yep. you from starting a legal claim against them. And what many people are not aware of is that some of these releases in the employment uh, context may contain provisions that disentitle you or bar you from making disability claims. Not as against the employer, but as against the insurance company. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. But they, I, I just this past week, I've been dealing with one of the lawyers on my team, an employment lawyer, who, who was presented with a release from the employer that contains such a provision. And, of course, we had to chat with the client and explain the, the issues here. So, you see, it's very, very dangerous, in my view, for an individual to hire a lawyer or a firm uh, de to deal with their employment situation and a different lawyer or a different firm uh, to deal with the disability. You ideally want uh, a law firm or, or a lawyer or a set of lawyers who, who have knowledge of both areas, who understand the interaction between that law, both types of law, you know, to maximize what you're going to put in your pocket because that's what it, you know, that's what it's about at the end of the day, John. It's about making sure people get the money they're owed under the law. So, so that's very important. So that's the first thing I want to start with, uh, especially now during this COVID situation where people are feeling anxiety and depression and suffering from, from you know, the scars that, that this pandemic is, is you know, uh, creating and causing people. You're going to have employment cases, employment situations, employment difficulties at the same time that you have these disability questions. You want to make sure that you go to a shop, a firm that has expertise in both areas. Coming up here, what does your doctor need to write in a letter to help you get approved for LTD? We'll get to that as soon as we come back from a short break. In the meantime, 416-870-6400, the number to call in, ask your questions uh, either on for yourself or on behalf of a friend or a family member. Bring it on. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You sure are, and uh, we're right back at it. Phone lines, by the way, are uh, are open. It's uh, 416-870-6400. And uh, you want to send an email along, that would be help at disabilityrights.ca. Savannah, ready to continue on here. I think uh, we got uh, our pal James Fireman on the phone standing by as well, so we'll 
get to his contributions here in just a bit. Anytime you want to go there, covidrights.ca is a is a fairly new website that's full of information. Obviously, as the title says, covidrights.ca is to do with the COVID-19. And mydisabilityquestions.com, that is another wonderful resource for you to ask questions to Savan or James. If uh, they're not answered right away, they are uh, shortly thereafter. There's also a search function. You can go through the archives and see if your question has been asked in the uh, in previous times. Okay, so uh, what does your doctor need to write a letter to help you get approved for long-term disability? This is an incredibly important topic, yeah? It is. It is, John. It's very, very important. And uh, okay. it, it's important because remember that the insurance company needs documentation in order to make an assessment as, as to whether or not mm-hmm. uh, you know they will approve your claim, whether or not they will continue to approve your claim. And, and oftentimes, when uh, I get involved in cases where the insurance company is either threatening to cut someone off uh, or has simply denied someone long-term disability on the basis of insufficient medical proof, uh, and, and I look at some of the letters that have been provided from the doctors, the letters are not necessarily sufficient. And I'm not blaming the doctors here. You know, doctors are very, very busy. It's just that they don't necessarily know what the insurance company needs. And an individual who's seeking the help of their doctor to get that information, they themselves don't know what the doctor should be writing. So let me break that down. And we have James here, so I'd, I'd like to get his thoughts as well. Generally, when I uh, either speak with a doctor or just explain to an individual what their doctor or treatment provider, it doesn't have to be a doctor, it depends on who's treating the person, a psychologist perhaps, what that person needs to write to the insurance company, I like to have the following uh, six items in there ideally. I'd like okay. the person who's treating to write in that letter uh, how long they've been treating that person. You know, you can have somebody who writes, uh, I've been this person's family doctor for the last 40 years. I mean, right. you know, think about that for a second. If the insurance company gets a letter from a doctor that's been your doctor for 40 years, there is some weight, you know, to that report. That person yes. hasn't just seen you once. So that's number one. Number two, I like to have a diagnosis, but I want to be careful with this. There is no requirement under LTD policies, the ones that I have seen at least, for you to have a diagnosis, a label on your condition that's disabling you from working. Nonetheless, in in the vast majority of circumstances, we know what the issue is, whether it's psychological or physical. You know, I, I have a broken back, I have a PTSD, I have a, a phobia, depression, whatever it is. Usually there is a diagnosis, and if there is one, it should be in the report. I like the doctor or the treatment provider to outline here are the treatment recommendations and then confirm that the person they're treating has been following those recommendations. That's important. It's very, very important because in many instances, insurance companies will cut you off or try to cut you off by arguing that you're not following treatment recommendations from whoever's treating you. So you want to make sure that your doctor or your treatment provider writes that you are following the recommendations. And if you're not, there has to be some kind of an explanation uh, with perhaps, uh, a, 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 again, a forward-looking approach as to, you know, this, this drug that I had recommended uh, is causing side effects, uh, and so therefore we're going to be trying a different drug. Uh, but again, confirmation that the person is following uh, the advice of the treatment provider. Uh, next, and this is really, really key, it's very important, whoever's treating you and writing this report needs to outline what are your functional limitations. Now I understand there's been many doctors out there who say, look, I'm not qualified to say if this person should go back to work or not. Maybe not, but you may have expertise to be able to explain what exactly is the person unable to do from a functional standpoint, whether it's a psychological issue, whether it's a physical issue or a combination of both. 
So if I'm dealing with a psychologist, a psychologist should probably say, listen, this person is having difficulties with, with uh, uh, you know, getting out of bed as a result of their depression. You know, it's affecting uh, their activities of daily living. They, they, you know, can hardly speak with individuals for more than five minutes. There has to be some discussion of the functional limitations of the person, which in turn will then uh, uh, provide the insurance company with information as to why this person is unable to perform their own occupation or any occupation, depending on where you are in the LTD timeline. And the last thing, I like to have some uh, uh, discussion on prognosis. And generally, you know, you'll have a doctor saying, I don't have a crystal ball. I have no idea how long this person will stay disabled. Right. Well, that's okay. I'm not asking you to tell me three years, five years, eight years, 20 years down the road. If for the foreseeable future, your patient is unable to work because of X, Y, and Z, well, state that. Say that it's in the foreseeable future, and you're going to assess that person in six months, in a year, etc. So you see, John, you know, as, as we typically say, as I typically say, uh, you need to make sure that you give the insurance company more than just a one-liner on a napkin that says you cannot work because you are disabled. There has to be some meat to the report. Okay, very, very important to understand that. I want to get uh, James' thoughts on some of those points after we come back from a short break and your phone calls. We can uh, we can line those up as well if any of those uh, pique your interest. It's 416-870-6400. Go to disabilityrights.ca to uh, catch past shows and links to our TV show as well. Right back. Lots more on the way. Disability Law Show on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And you want to ask some questions for the guys here? No problem. Savannah or James, you could do so. 416-870-6400. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Just before we move on to our first email of the uh, of the, uh, of the the afternoon. James, how are you, pal? I can't complain, Johnny. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Do you uh, you heard those six uh, six quick bullet points from Savannah? You have any comments about those? Whether it's diagnosis or uh, treatment recommendations, or about following with treatments, prognosis. What do you think? Well, I, I'm going to start by saying the the key phrase, which is, I agree with everything Savan said. Which, if you've listened before, you know me. But I have some extra comments that I think need to be added here. Of course. So, no, I, I, no, I actually really do strongly agree with everything that Savan said. Yeah. But first and foremost, um, for doctors out there, you know, we are aware of the burden that doctors are under right now, and certainly we are very sensitive to adding anything whatsoever to that burden. So. We're not asking doctors, you know, on every single file to write us reports and to, you know, to dot I's and cross T's and, you know, do busy work. That's not what we're here to do, and we certainly don't want to add to the load that they already have. We certainly respect the, the role that doctors are playing, the unbelievably important role that they're playing right now. Mm-hmm. So we are only asking where it is entirely necessary, and even then, only to a limited amount. And so with that in mind, um, if there are doctors out there that are in this situation, we are more than willing to talk to anyone who needs our help, whether it's with someone who is a client of ours or not. And you can keep the information completely anonymous, so you don't have to reveal the name of your, your patient. If you just want some help understanding how to answer these questions, how to best put your patient in a position to successfully challenge the insurance company that is denying their benefits or maybe denying their benefits. We are more than happy to help. There is no charge for that. You just give us a call. 
Um, a couple other points I just want to add, um, and this is really more for, uh, for people who are going to their own doctors. When you go, it's important that you don't say, my lawyer told me that I need to get this, that, or the other mm -hmm. thing. If you've already got a lawyer, don't say that. If you put that in the file, the, your doctor may well write that in there, and then it's going to look like it's something that we're asking the doctor to say. Whatever he puts after that, it's going to look like it's the lawyer's opinion, not the doctor's. And that's not the case. Your doctor's going to put their own opinion on there. But I don't want it to be prompted by the lawyer, and in any case, it's not. It's the insurance company that needs this information. So say that you need it for the insurance claim, and that is absolutely legitimate, and that's the way it should appear in the file. The only other thing that I do want to add here, uh, one of the points that Svon brought up was talking about functional limitations, which is mm. critical. It's absolutely critical that we get the doctor's opinion on functional limitations. But what you really need to be careful about is that those functional limitations specifically relate to the job that you have, to your occupation. So if you are in a sedentary occupation, you're sitting down pretty much all day, more or less, and you have a back issue that prevents you from being able to uh, sit for more than 30 minutes without taking a break, and even then you can only go once or twice before you have to lie down for a few hours. Well, that's really important information. Those functional limitations, your sitting tolerance, standing, walking tolerance, depending on your job, those are things that are really critical for your doctor to comment on. If you have a mental health issue, of course, your ability to be able to function through the day, to be able to deal with stress and anxiety as it relates to your work would obviously be a critical thing for your doctor to comment on as well. So make sure that when your doctor is talking about your functional limitations, it is with an eye to the specific issues that you have in your job. Now, I, again, I, I mentioned before, I don't think it's necessary to burden our, our doctors any more than they need to be. So I'm not suggesting that you give them, you know, a three or four page job description that, you know, sets out every minor thing that you do in your job. But if there are specific things that you're required to do in your job that you feel are difficult for you to do, then bring those up with your doctor and ask your doctor to comment on those. Those are the things that's going to be critical for your doctor to provide information on. So your insurance company will have that in their file. And if they make the wrong decision, they can't say they didn't know. That's the important part. Because oftentimes, your insurer won't treat you fairly. They won't. They will have the information and they will not approve. But you don't want to give them an out. You don't want to put them in a position where they can say, oh, well, you know, perhaps if we had known that, we might not have denied your claim or cut you off, but, you know, your doctor never commented, commented on it. So, so sorry. Right. You don't want to give them that out ever. Guys, I want to get into some emails here, but we got to take a, a quick break because uh, it's going to take a minute or so to read the first one from Mason. In the meantime, reaching out to the guys when the show is not on. How about this? 1-855-821-5900. Disabilityrights.ca is the website. Or you can check out covidrights.ca and the email address, which I'm about to read from. After the break, help at disabilityrights.ca. This is a disability law show here on Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
It is indeed. You still got time to uh, to make that phone call, whether it's for yourself or uh, on behalf of a, a friend or a colleague who's dealing with an insurance company, maybe on disability and just been cut off or looking at the appeal process, all that business. Bring it on 416-870-6400. Help at disabilityrights.ca is that email address. Mason, as promised, you're up, says, uh, guys, my mother slipped and fell on ice around her friend's condo back in January and broke her right hip. It's always the hip. She uh, she was in hospital and uh, respite care for a couple months after surgery, and now she has a walker. She worked at Walmart part-time, and now she can't. She also needs help at the home, and because of COVID, my sister and I are struggling to help her. Our younger brother lives with her, so he's taking care of her. I'm just wondering if there is something we can do because of her injury to compensate her for what happened. That condo building has a really poor record of clearing the ice and snow, and others have fallen there in the past, including myself. Yeah, Mason, this is uh, it's very, very unfortunate uh, what happened to your mom, and uh, thank you for reaching out to us. You know, it, it is important to know, John, for our listeners that, you know, although we, we have expertise in disability law, we also have expertise in injury law, and that involves slip and falls, uh, it involves car accidents and other types of injuries. And by the way, the law is, is different for all of these areas of law, right? But that's that's our focus. We focus on injury law, disability law, and employment law exclusively at the firm. So, Mason, I, I will tell you that I have dealt with many, many hip fractures uh, for elderly individuals. And I can tell you, having worked for insurance companies in the past, many, many years ago, I don't recall one hip fracture case that I have ever handled for insurance companies where my clients, the insurance company, whichever insurance company I was representing, paid less than six figures for. Now, every case is different, and when we're dealing with a, with a, with a slip and fall or a car accident, the first question we ask is, who's at fault? It's, it's the liability question. Who's liable for this? And it's not necessarily a black and white situation. It's possible that the condo owners here or whoever's responsible for the winter maintenance is 75% responsible. And, and it's possible that your mom is 25% responsible for not watching where she was going. I mean, I don't know. It's possible that she's not at fault at all. My point is that there's going to have to be some kind of an analysis here as to who is at fault. So that's one factor of, of the discussion here that we're going to have. And that's why I tell people that when you're involved in slip and falls, you want to make sure that either you or a friend or someone is able to take photographs or even videos on on their Mm -hmm. phone now. Everybody has a phone that can take photos, good good, uh, quality photos of the area because we want to be able to show that the area was not maintained the way that it ought to have been if that's in fact the case. So again, that will help you, will help us in dealing with the insurance company for the condo owner and the insurance company for whoever was responsible for the winter maintenance. But let me focus now on damages because this is where things get really interesting for us from a legal standpoint and unfortunate, obviously, for for Mason's mother. Uh, A hip fracture for somebody who's elderly, I mean, that that is, I would say, a near catastrophic type of an injury, especially when you're dealing with surgery subsequently. Her mobility is impacted potentially uh, forever, Uh, her ability to take care of herself. I've seen many individuals uh, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s who've had these kinds of injuries, John, who then uh, have been in wheelchairs and and have had to have help almost round the clock or, or at least several hours a day or a week with, with house cleaning, uh, with the shopping, with, with, you know, activities of daily living. And, you know, let me give you some numbers. Pain and suffering, because this is one of the first things we look at when we assess damages and compensation for these kinds of injuries. Pain and suffering for a hip fracture, 
generally can go anywhere from seventy-five to eighty thousand dollars, all the way up. And I can say this as somebody who has uh, advised his clients in the past, insurance clients, to pay into the hundred and twenties, a hundred and thirties, even more wow. than that, thousand dollars just for pain and suffering. But what if this person uh, now requires help around the home? Well, first of all, the fact that the, the, you know there are family members here who are who are helping. They're entitled to compensation as well under under different legislation under under the Family Law Act. You know, Section 61 of the Family Law Act in Ontario allows family members, certain family members, to claim compensation for any services that they provide to to an injured uh, family member. So, so you know, you could be looking at a case like this that could potentially settle at some point down the road for two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. Right, and this is important to understand. Every case is different. We have to figure out the extent of the injuries, what kind of help she needs. But you know, you're talking about a case that is very serious, and I think mm -hmm. people need to understand that when we are telling individuals out there on this show and other shows that you're entitled potentially to compensation, we're not talking about you know stealing from the insurance companies. We're talking about that there are laws there to protect you. And those laws allow you, allow you, Mason, allow your mother, your family members to, to claim this kind of compensation against the insurance companies. Now, the insurance companies are not going to want to pay it, which is why you need people who have this experience, like myself, like James, our team, to be able to advocate for yourself, for your family members, for your mother, and, and who know what they're doing. There are a lot of people out there, lawyers, who say they know what they're doing, but they actually don't know what they're doing. And I've seen this, and I'm sure James has seen this, uh, you know, having, having done defense work in the past. So, you know, you want to do this now, by the way. You don't want to wait too long. Remember, you have two years from, from uh, the date of the incident to start a legal claim. And if this was private property, uh, then, again, you want to start this as soon as possible. But if you're dealing with a slip and fall on, on public property, like a, like a sidewalk, remember that you, know, you have to provide the city, the municipality, with notice of a potential claim with some details about what happened within 10 days of the incident. And if you fail to do that, you may have complications down the road in terms of pursuing that kind of a claim. James, you got about a minute and a half to add something you want to? Yeah, please. So there is one okay. point that Savon brought up that I think is really critical. He was talking about getting photographic evidence or even video evidence of the area where she slipped and fell. That's critical for a lot of reasons. Now, obviously, down the road, when you get to arguing about who's at fault, if it were ever go to trial, which they rarely do, but if it ever went that far, that kind of evidence is really critical. But it can also be really important early on. So if the site where, where Mason's mother fell, let's say it was in total disrepair, it hadn't been salted at all, it hadn't been plowed, there was ice everywhere, it was clear that nobody was paying any attention to it, and you got a picture of that, there's no dispute in this situation, let's say, that the condo or whoever was supposed to do the maintenance for the condo is at fault. When it is that clear, you will oftentimes be able to get whoever is insuring the, the property owner, that insurance company, to pay advance payments. And that's really important because Mason's mother may not have access to any funding for rehabilitation. That can be really expensive. From the defendant's standpoint, this insurance company that's ultimately going to have to pay at the end of the day, they may well be willing to make advance payments if they know they're on the hook for sure. If you have that photographic evidence, and it says that they are on the hook for sure and they know they're not getting around it, well, they may well be willing to make an advance payment for her treatment. And the reason for it is simple. It's because it's in their best interest as well. 
they know that if she gets the full treatment that she needs early on, the outcome is likely going to be better, which means that they're going to be on the hook for less. That's better for everybody, but that only happens if you have a very clear-cut case on liability. The only way to make sure that happens is if you have very clear photographs that show exactly how the, how the area was, and it's clear in those photos that the defendant is going to be on the hook. Guys, let's take a quick one. We'll get back to more of your emails and phone calls as well. you still got time to uh, to call in for, uh, for your benefit or someone else's, 416-870-6400 and help at disabilityrights.ca. It's a disability law show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Indeed, uh, the number 416-870-6400 if you'd like to uh, to call in, ask your questions. If not, you can email us, help at disabilityrights.ca. The website covidrights.ca is available for you. Any time as well, James and Savannah here uh, standing by waiting to, uh, to answer your questions. Mike is up next through the email. Mikey says, I uh, was on short-term disability for six months, and when I applied for LTD, they deny me. I don't understand. It's the same insurance company, and my doctor confirmed that I can't work. I appealed, and I was denied, and then my friend heard your show and told me to write you. It's a good friend. Can you help me? I'm 58 years old, and I don't really know what I should do or if there's anything I can do. Well, John, uh, it's a good question from Mike. Uh, so... Mike, your confusion here is is very and frustration is obviously uh, you know makes a lot of sense. Um, look, if you have short term disability and long term disability with the same insurance company, it makes zero sense to me why it is that you would be approved for the short term disability and not for the long term disability when the test is essentially the same test. Now, you do have occasions where a person doesn't have access to short-term disability. They gotta go on uh, EI sick benefits or they have short-term disability through work. And maybe there is a different test that is being applied. But I think Mike's situation here is that uh, it's the same insurance company. Why is it that they would deny the long-term disability claim? Well, I have seen situations where it's just a different adjuster that is now dealing with a long-term disability case. And that adjuster has a different view of the medical documents you've submitted than the adjuster who was adjusting your short-term disability case. Now, unfortunately, in this case, it's prejudicing Mike, but the reality is that Mike actually has a very strong legal case against the insurance company. And I have had situations like this, John, where I had, of course, gotten involved uh, because of it. And uh, as soon as I, I wrote to the adjuster, the long-term disability adjuster, to, to show them and, 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 and explain the ridiculousness of that kind of a situation, where a person was deemed disabled under STD and not disabled under LTD with the same insurer, as soon as I, I, I you know, made it clear that that would give rise to an immediate legal claim, not only for the benefits, but for punitive damages, in addition, the insurance company backed off and allowed the person to go on LTD. Now, I'm not saying this happens frequently, but obviously this is something that does happen. Unfortunately, again, you're going to have people, unlike Mike, who are not listening to the show, who are not communicating with us, who will simply assume that the LTD insurer is correct in rejecting the LTD claim. And then they walk away from their case, they walk away from money that's owed to them, or alternatively, you'll have people not like Mike. Mike did the right thing here, he, he asked us the question. 
you'll have people who say, okay, it seems like I, I don't qualify for LTD. Let me see if I can get more documentation, you know, to, to, to appeal this decision. And, you know, our listeners, John, know what we think about appeals. James and I uh, yes. do not appeal these kinds of decisions. Uh, you're just going to go around in circles. You're going to get frustrated and you're going to get denied over and over and over. So in a case like this, like Mike is describing, in my view, this is extremely easy to resolve and it's not going to take years to resolve it. It's probably going to take an email or a letter from me or someone on my team or a legal claim to force the insurance company's hand. And we will force their hand to, to either reinstate Mike, like put him back on claim or come to the table to try and negotiate with us uh, an equitable resolution here of the case. Again, 416-870-6400, the number to call in, ask your questions. With the remaining time of the show, we go just before 1 o'clock. You can bring it on. Help at disabilityrights.ca is a good way to uh, to email us. Gerald up next says, uh, Savannah, my son is uh, 31 years old and suffered a brain injury in an accident about three years ago. He initially went off on short-term disability, and then it switched after six months to long-term disability. He recently stopped physio but continues to see his family doctor and neurologist because his cognitive symptoms of memory loss and confusion are still there. He can't do his job as a mechanical engineer, or at least not anytime soon. His insurance company says that he's, a, he's approaching the two-year mark, and they will have to undergo an assessment to see what else he is qualified to do. But I'm worried that they uh, don't fully appreciate his injury and will push him back to work too soon. What do you suggest we do? Well, Gerald, thank you for writing us, and, and you know he's doing the right thing here, John. He's communicating with us just like Mike did. Yep. Uh, Gerald, you're absolutely right to be concerned. That two-year mark for long-term disability claims is absolutely crucial because that's when the test for disability in the LTD context changes. The test is no longer can you do your own occupation, it's can you do any occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, and experience, uh, or experience. And what happens is many insurers will have the claimant undergo some kind of an assessment. There's a whole slew of them, transferable skills uh, analysis. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different assessments. Maybe they'll send you to a certain doctor, etc. Why? Because they're seeking an opinion that's going to say that you can do some other work, some other occupation. Once they have that opinion, they will then most likely use that as a crutch to, to lean on in justifying a decision to cut you off. And Gerald, in your son's case, despite the fact that he suffered a brain injury, I mean, you would think that it would be just ludicrous for them, given what you're describing here, for them to cut him off. They will yeah. cut him off. They will cut him off if, the, if they send him to this assessment and get an opinion that he can do something else. And, John, many times people get these, uh, uh, course, this correspondence from the adjuster saying, you know, the assessor we send you to uh, identify 10 different jobs that we think you can do. And, and, you know, when you look at those 10 jobs or however many jobs they give you, you're looking, you know, through the, that list and you're like, I can't do any of that yeah. stuff. Not with what I have going on. So it's important mm -hmm. to understand the insurance company will do it, but there is a way to fight back. There is a way to push back and to force the insurer not to cut you off, or if they cut you off, to force them to pay what you're owed. More coming up here. Sam, we'll bounce over to your email very shortly. And if you have time, or if you want to, you have time anyway, for a phone call, 416-870-6400. It is the Disability Law Show. This is Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 
Welcome back indeed. Phone calls, 416-870-6400. We'll try to get to another email after this, uh, but first want to bounce over to the call because it's always top priority in that regard. We'll get to uh, to Anthony whenever Anthony's ready to uh, to come on the line. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, in the meantime, I know you want to get to uh, a call after or at least an email after that. Anthony, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I was just wondering, I'm calling on behalf of a friend of mine. Uh, she fell about a year ago on wor- at work. Uh, I'm just wondering, is she entitled to anything? And her work is located on TTC property. Mm. Uh, she continued to work, uh, but I was just hearing your show today, so I'm just wondering, does she have a claim? Could she get something? So that's an excellent question, Anthony. And uh, so the way it usually works is if you are injured on on uh, work premises, uh, and and some of these negligence uh, negligence, let's say it's it's the employer for whatever reason, uh, your friend would likely uh, have have a claim through WSIB. And and if it's a work related accident, uh, such as the one you're describing for your friend, then that would be her only recourse. But I want to make sure people understand, John, because sometimes people are injured uh, at work, uh, but the injury was caused by someone else, not the employer or or a coworker. There are situations where you may have an election here. You could go through WSIB workers' compensation, mm-hmm. or you can start a legal claim against whoever was at fault. But but Anthony, in your friend's situation, if she fell at work, then her recourse would only be through workers' compensation. Well, she felt her work is located in the TTC property. So right. She, she technically fell on TTC property. And she went to see the doctor the way you said, and they told her to uh, cut, limit her amount of work, but she continued working. And to this day, she still has pain and everything. And uh, and I was just hearing your show today, so I was just wondering, like, you know, could she... Is she employed by TTC? No. There's a restaurant in the TTC. Okay. And the, Yeah. So the restaurant that's located on the TTC, oh. she was going down the stairs, and she slipped, hit the back of her head. Mm-hmm. Where she went to see a doctor, but she continued working, and uh, but she still has pain to this day. Well, Anthony, if 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 she's if she's working for or was working back then for one of the restaurants, uh, and you're saying she continued to work, I don't know if she's working now with COVID, but uh, yeah, there right is now, a pl- with COVID. Yeah. Now that's another case too. Right, her restaurant now is shut down. It's located in the restaurant, so I'm going to call even for that regarding COVID. Okay, well then, let me tell you this, she may potentially have a claim, and the fact that it happened a year ago, and not more than two years ago, uh, it's a good thing that you're calling and finding out, because she may in fact have a case here. I know she continued working, many people do, because they have to earn a living, that's obviously going to affect her claim, I mean, we tell people, if you can work, go ahead and work, but from what you're saying here, she's actually working against medical advice, right? Yeah, her the doctor she met just said, okay, how do you feel? Yeah. Okay, we'll limit your, like, sh- she does some lifting, so she was lifting a little bit less, but her occupation is a cook, mm-hmm. so the, she was just basically still doing that, and uh, and now with the COVID, too, which is your next show, she can't work anymore because of COVID, the restaurant is closed down temporarily, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. So she may potentially have an employment case. And you're alluding to the fact that my partner, Lior, is doing the uh, uh, the employment show right after yeah. this show, which is, again, a very good source of information for, for employees uh, and employers seeking employment information. But, Anthony, what I would suggest is that you have her get in touch with me. John's going to give you the information. I need to understand a bit more about what happened, what caused her to fall. But there, it's very it's very possible here that she may have a legal claim, despite the fact that 
she went back to work despite the fact that uh, you know she she, she uh, uh, is unable to work now because of COVID. She may have certain rights here that I can advise her on. And at the end of the day, you know you're doing her a huge favor here because we're going to give her the information she needs. And if she wants to act on it, she can. If she does not want to, we're not going to pressure her. It's going to be completely up to her. But at least she'll know what she's entitled to, if anything, as a result of her fall. So thank you very much for calling. Appreciate it, Anthony. Here is that number, one 855 821 and help at Okay, you got about uh, two minutes, pal. You want to rattle off an email, right? Yeah, John, I just got an okay. email from Ottawa. This is from Antonio. Cool. So I'm going to read what he, what, he, uh, what he wrote, and then I'm going to answer it really quickly. Uh, he says, hello, big fan of all the shows you guys represent. My question is this. I often hear that if someone is part of a union, that you wouldn't be able to assist and that they need to deal with the union. Forgive my ignorance, but wouldn't you be able to assist in that situation? And what happens if it seems that the union is more on the employer's side, even if the employee has a legitimate issue or claim? So, so John, I, let's make a distinction here. Uh, if, if you have an employment situation and with your employer, you have to go through your union. You can't hire, or at least an employment lawyer that you might try to hire will not be, really be able to help you vis-a-vis uh, -vis your employment situation between your union and your employer. But if you have a disability issue and you're a unionized employee, in the vast majority of, of situations, we can help you against your insurance company. There is an analysis we have to do. We got to look at the collective agreement. But the fact that you're unionized, if you have a disability issue, a disability problem with your insurance company, we will be able to help you in most cases. And that'll do it for another day. You want to reach out, uh, you know how to now. Uh, toll free, one 855 It is help at disabilityrights.ca or simply disabilityrights.ca, the website. And for the next little while, important information at covidrights.ca. We will catch you again. Disability Law Show, Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.